Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Each week since I've been here, I, along with the rest of the prayer team, receive a batch of prayer requests that come from the comment cards when we used to meet together in the sanctuary. And the the prayer requests have a lot of overlap and similarities, but they tend to fall into certain categories. A lot of the requests are about healing, healing of a sickness, of a foot, of a leg, of an arm, of a heart, of a brain. Some of the prayer requests fall in the categories of relationships, relationships that need to be restored, uh, a child that is estranged from his parents, or a husband and wife relationship. And some fall in the categories of deliverance, a deliverance from addiction, a deliverance from a certain pattern of sin. And some fall into the category of prayers of salvations for friends and neighbors and wayward children and grandchildren. And there are a lot of prayers that come in each week that are very heavy, and sometimes they're drawn out into details. And many of us have our own prayer requests that can be hard, especially during this time. But let's do this something together this morning. Let's, let's take all of your request and attempt to do something radical okay so you're holding your prayer request right now let's take your prayer request and let's insert god's grace god's joy and god's peace now this may seem impossible to you because you're going through a difficult time right now and you cannot imagine God's abounding grace. You cannot imagine being filled with joy. Uh, You you, you can't imagine a peace that surpasses understanding. And and I'm with you. Uh, Just before I came up here to preach, about 20 minutes ago, I received a, a text that a close friend of mine, a former elder at my last church, just went to be with the Lord. He he died way too early uh, of cancer, and we, we loved him, we loved his family, and it's really sad. And, and to think about uh, God's uh, peace and, and grace and, and a joy overflowing, at times can, can be difficult to see how that, that's possible uh, when we're grieving. It's, it's difficult to see how that's possible when we have such suffering in our lives. But what I'm going to try to do this morning is that no matter what you're going through, you can be at a, at a point in your life where God's grace and, and peace and joy can overflow. And to kind of to show you how that's possible, I want to read to you one prayer request. It's a prayer request that I recreated on behalf of someone else. So let me read to you this prayer request. I'm in jail facing execution. Many oppose me in the world and even profession Christians are against me. Pray that I will rejoice always, proclaim Christ, stand firm, and be delivered. Signed, the Apostle Paul. 
the Apostle Paul is in a, a, a jail and he's writing this church to the Philippians and, and what he's saying to them that is possible even in imprisonment, trials, and suffering is that God's grace, God's peace, and God's joy can bombard our lives and overflow. And it has for him in his imprisonment and he wants the same for the Philippians and God, through his word, wants the same for us. Let's turn to the book of Philippians as we're going to start to go through it week after week. And, it, and it's such a great book, right? This is, some of you, it's your favorite book. There's many meaningful and encouraging verses that filled this short book. Um, this is often your go-to book when you want to read about God's peace or God's joy, about pressing on and, and keep following the Lord. And now these words, keep in mind, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, come from the Apostle Paul in a jail cell as he waits trial and likely execution. And he speaks words of peace, of joy, and abounding grace no matter what you're going through. Well, let's, let's set up a little structure this morning as we are only going to look at two verses. Here's a quick overview. We're going to talk about Philippi in church planning, Paul and Timothy, servanthood, the Trinity, grace, peace, and joy. Now, I mentioned we're only going to cover two verses, and I, I understand it is difficult to watch someone preach online. It's probably difficult for you to pay attention to me in person, but even more difficult online. So I give you permission if you start to zone out, just to hit pause and come back later. But we're only going to cover two verses. And I want you to dive deep, not only to these other two verses, these two verses, but the rest of Philippians. This is a chance for you to study in depth one whole book. So let's start out by learning about Philippi and church planning. Dive into verse 1. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi including the overseers and deacons let's start out with the city of Philippi located in the area of modern northern Greece the Roman colony often called Little Rome because it reflected so much of the glory of Rome itself in its architecture dress and sophistication and most of the people in Philippi are educated. There's a huge military presence. Um, there is this ability for them to be exempt from a lot of the heavy taxes. And there, you can imagine all the military there. There's a lot of protection. Check this out. Ten years earlier, Paul and Timothy show up to Philippi and they end up planting a church. And let me tell you a little bit of this backstory. This is a great story. So they show up and they go down to the river and these, there's these women and they're, they're kind of having a little prayer service. So Paul and Timothy show up and, and they're preaching the gospel. And this wealthy woman named Lydia comes to faith in Christ. Not only herself, but many in her household believe in Jesus, whether it's family members or servants. After that, Paul encounters a, a woman, a girl, who was possessed by a demon. She was a fortune teller, 
And she was following Paul and his companions around, and she was crying out loud and kind of just talking about how they're servants of the Lord. And Paul got a little irritated, and he cast a demon out of her. That's great, right? Her owner did not think so because she was a fortune teller. She brought in cash for the owner. He was mad. He goes to the authorities. They get Paul arrested. He gets beaten, and he gets thrown into jail. While he's in jail, he's chained up, and he's singing psalms, uh, and he's singing songs to him, Paul and Silas. They're bloody and all bruised. And then this great earthquake happens, right? And it opens and busts open to all the jail cells. And the Philippian jailer really freaked out. What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And the Philippian jailer, along with his household, come to believe in Jesus. This is the core team of Paul's church plant. I know we like to talk a lot about core teams uh, of church plants. How about this one? You have a wealthy woman, Lydia, and her household. You have a blue-collar uh, jailer and, and his household. And you have a girl who had a demon cast out of her. That's the core team. That is the church plant. And it's through church planning that God advances his kingdom in this world, where people show up, share the gospel, people get saved, they gather together, and the church starts to grow exponentially as more and more people hear. Church planning in the New Testament is key to the flourishing of the gospel. And church planning is something we at Village Bible Church take seriously. We invest our prayers and we invest our money into seeing churches planted. In fact, one of the aggressive goals that we have is over the next few years, we want to see three to four new churches planted, primarily in college settings and university towns where we're hitting the next generation with the gospel and we're seeing churches spring up as people are coming to Christ, gathering together, being discipled, and worshiping Jesus Christ. And we want to be part of that. And we kicked it off this past fall as we saw our first church that we invested in was planted. This is a, a church plant in Roanoke, Virginia. And the, the church planter is uh, a great brother in the Lord. His name is uh, Charles. And the church is called the Hill Church. So Charles and his wife, they landed in Roanoke and they started sharing the gospel. And now a church has been established full of college students and, and young adults. Charles shows up just like Paul. He does kind of the groundwork. And now there's a church there that we prayerfully and financially uh, support. And by God's grace, Charles will be here in August, hopefully speaking at our missions conference. And when I think about that church plant, I just want to keep telling you there's more where that came from. We want to keep planting churches and seeing the gospel expand. Well, let's move on to the next part that I've titled Paul and Timothy servanthood. I want you to notice Paul's self-designation in verse 1. Look at it again. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. A bond servant. That's a person who's bound to serve. That means no pay. That's what we would call a slave. Paul and Timothy consider themselves slaves of Christ. 
Paul's this great missionary. He's a church planner. He's a preacher teacher. He's theologian. He wrote most of a big chunk of the New Testament, but he does not pull out his apostolic authority card and call himself this, this great and grand apostle. He says, you know what? I'm a slave of Christ. And many of the early Christians took on that designation as well, and they called themselves slaves of Christ. Why would the early church adopt a phrase that was so horrific, not only in their time and in our time? Why would they call themselves slaves of Christ? It's because of this. Not only is Jesus Lord, but he is also a gracious master. Get this. Jesus is Lord over the universe, Lord over principalities, Lord over peoples, Lord over this world. And we can say as believers, Jesus is my Lord, which means absolute say and sway in my whole life. My family, from time to time, we listen to rap music, Christian rap music, and there's this certain rap song that talks about the Lordship of Jesus. And it says this, He's Lord over your career, He's Lord over your neighborhood, Lord over your acquisitions, and Lord over your things, Lord over your condominium, Lord over your wife, and Lord over your life. Jesus has absolute supremacy and lordship over our lives where we say Jesus is Lord. But he's also a gracious master. You can think about many of the slave owners during this time. They were cruel masters who would beat their slaves. But Lord Jesus is a gracious master. He loves us. He clothes us in his righteousness, gives us compassion, seeks our welfare, and to do good to us. He is a gracious master so that we can say as believers, Jesus is Lord over my life, which means not only does he have absolute say in whatever I do, but he's also going to be gracious to me. He's going to be gracious to you. And you need that lordship, especially right now. Now, some of you just kind of don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to be for you in the future. Some of you are scared, feel a lot of anxiety and fear. You need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I just lay it all down. I don't know what's going to happen next, but your Lord. You can lay it all down and say, Jesus, I need your grace. I need your compassion. I need your mercy. I just give you my life. I commit myself to your Lordship. Now, there's some other phrasing that is used in the early church. So I just want to touch on that briefly. If you look back to verse 1, you notice it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Briefly, the, the, the leadership is the overseers who are the elders primarily in charge of preaching and teaching and the overall direction of the church. And the deacons would be in charge of serving and caring for those in needs. The overseers and deacons make up a portion of the congregation. But, but I want you to notice the term given to the whole congregation saints every single believer is called a saint 
I know that may freak some of you out from certain backgrounds, but you're a saint in Christ Jesus, which means that you are set apart from sin and set apart unto God. You are His. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are not a saint by the way that you act. You are a saint based upon the actions of Jesus Christ and His life, death, and resurrection clothing you in his righteousness. You are his set-apart one. You are a saint. You know how we in the church will often call one another brother and sister, like a brother Bob or sister Martha. But can you imagine? We're saints. Saint Bob. Saint Martha. We are saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, his set-apart ones. That's, that's pretty amazing. All right, let's move on to the last designation here is we talk about the Trinity and we look at grace and peace and joy. Let's look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The source, if you notice, of the grace and the peace and even joy that we will see throughout this book are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also know from other parts of the Bible that the Holy Spirit is involved in the experience of joy and, and grace and peace. So it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, who are a source of grace, peace, and joy. Now think about joy, because we're going to talk about a lot of joy uh, in this book. We're going to talk about kind of resilient joy, persevering joy. We're going to talk about a defiant joy, no matter what's going on. This, this word joy or rejoice is used about 16 times in, in the book of Philippians. It's, also, it's all often called the epistle of joy. There's just a lot of joy. But, but don't miss the point of the joy because you know what's mentioned more than joy or rejoice in this book it's jesus christ jesus is the source of joy we're not just talking about joy for joy's sake we're talking about joy in christ finding happiness in him rejoicing based upon who he is and what he's done our source of joy is jesus so joy to you. But Paul also says, and grace to you. And this grace is focused on the unearned favor of God aimed at you. It's not based upon what you have done, but what he's done. It's not based upon your performance, based upon his performance. And we not only need saving grace, we need sustaining grace. We need God's grace to make it through not only this pandemic, we need God's grace to make it through this day. We need God's grace as we interact with other people. They need grace as they interact with us. We need God's grace abounding and overflowing in our lives on a daily basis, no matter what we're dealing with. And then we talk about peace. And we're not just talking about this peace between, between God and, and humans through Jesus Christ where there's no longer intimacy. There's, there's peace. The peace we're also talking about here, and we'll see more in chapter 4, is this peace that surpasses understanding. It's a peace where God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because maybe you find anxiety creeping in your life. 
And we're told that God's peace can guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting, the peace we're going to learn about, it says it surpasses understanding. And you're like, well, help me understand this peace. Well, you can't because it surpasses comprehension and understanding. It comes from God and God alone. And you may think all this sounds impossible, this abounding grace, this peace, this joy, and all this is so unrealistic. You're in some some difficult circumstances, but keep in mind who's writing the letter. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, he's in jail. He's, He's chained up. He's been beaten enough. He's likely facing execution. And he's talking about joy, rejoicing. It's abounding in his life. He's talking about grace. (laughs) He's talking about God's peace. And he not only sees it for himself, but he sees it for you. He, He is circumstantially in a dark spot. And yet he keeps coming back to joy and peace and to grace. Not only for him, but also for you. Because I know some of you are in a dark spot, uh, especially in the isolation you're feeling and maybe the despair. I've been thinking a lot about despair recently. Like, is despair something we feel or is despair something we think? You know, some dark thoughts. And I'm pretty sure despair is a combination of both. It, it kind of just weighs heavy on us. The, the darkness is closing in on us. And you want joy in the Lord and you want his peace and you want his grace and you want it to be just just flowing on you. And you go, well, you know what? How do I get that? How do I get God's grace to invade my life? How do I get his joy overflowing? How do I get that peace that surpasses understanding? How how does that happen in the Christian life? And I want to put it to you this way. You need to throw yourself in the path of joy. You need to make yourself a target of His grace. You need to be say, Lord, here I am. Attack me with your peace that surpasses understanding. And and the crazy image I have of, of this is my kids at the water park. When we lived in Chicago, we lived in a suburb called Skokie, and they had a wonderful huge water park and my kids would run throughout the water park and there'd be often water just shooting out in different places and springs and and they would go and they would throw themselves and be hit by all this water but one of the coolest things at this water park is up way high was a humongous bucket and I mean this bucket was huge and my kids and along with a lot of other kids would stand under that bucket and what would happen the bucket would gradually fill up with water. And when it came to a point where it's completely full, it would tip and loads of water would be just dump all over these kids. And, and they loved it. They're putting themselves in the path of being drenched. And, and I just have that, that imagery is that God has that in store for believers. He has this huge bucket full of grace, <laughs> huge bucket full of peace and joy, and he, he wants to just develop that in you and pour that on you. And I think what <laughs> needs to happen is we need to put ourselves in the path 
We need to make ourselves a target. I guess I could say you have to stand under the bucket of God's grace. Stand under the bucket of his peace and his joy that's abounding. Say, God, just, just pour that on me. And you go, what, what does that look like? Well, it looks like on a daily basis you get up and you choose to get in the Word. You choose to hand your burdens over to the Lord. You choose to rejoice rather than complain. You choose to bring your problems not only to him, but also to your brothers and sisters. And even though you can't meet right now in person, you can call them, FaceTime them, get on Zoom with them, text them, and encourage one another. We need to get to a point where we're putting ourselves and we're saying, God, my life's a mess. I'm sad. Hear my prayer request. Lord, I need you. A point of desperation where we're saying, God, you are our Lord. We give you complete allegiance. And we look to Jesus and Jesus alone. And we say, God, we're desperate. We need your grace. We need your peace. We need a joy overflowing. Here we are, Lord. Pour it out. Pour it out. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.